0: really adjusted how much protein I do consume and I consume far more than I used to 10 or 15 years ago. I definitely noticed that I need it, you know, conscious of muscle mass, trying to maintain as much of that as possible. And also I think from a satiety um, perspective, protein is really much more helpful than carbohydrate.
1: Hello and welcome to The Long Munch, the nutrition podcast for runners, cyclists and triathletes. I'm Alan McCubbin.
2: And I'm Steph Gaskell.
1: We're both accredited sports dietitians based in Melbourne and combined have over 30 years experience working with runners, cyclists and triathletes to help them stay healthy and optimise their performance from complete beginners through to professional and Olympic athletes. Each week, we take a deep dive into the most common nutrition questions that runners, cyclists, and triathletes ask. The sort of stuff that people are talking about out on their run or ride, or in the coffee shop afterwards, or jumping online to try and find answers for. So we'll take that question, break it down, and invite a guest expert, or researcher in Part A, and a guest athlete or coach in Part B to add their unique perspective as well. Today, it's episode 44B, how are nutritional needs of masters athletes different to younger athletes? And we're joined by our guest, 2019 Ironman world champion in the 60 to 65 year old age group, Mary Mitchell. So we discuss with Mary what she's noticed in terms of changes in her training and racing as she's gotten older, the benefits that she's obtained from decades of training and racing. So both from an experience point of view, but just from the years of accumulated training in the legs, and also how her approach to nutrition has changed over the years, either because she's older or from the benefit of so many years of experience. But before we get to that, how are you going, Steph? We talked about last week that uh, by the time people had listened to the mm-hmm. podcast, you would have done your five-hour run. So now you can tell people all about it. How was it? Did you survive?
2: <laughs> I did. I um, survived um, just, our, Um I think actually, <laughs> funnily enough, physically, it was easier even though my training was probably not as good as it um, was last time. Um, but mentally, it was very much a, a harder slog. Um, it was hard the first time and then obviously that second time. And I spoke to you about how my kind of my mojo for running at the moment has um, been quite reduced um, so yeah, doing the five hours <laughs> on a treadmill didn't really help. Um, excite. Well, I was going to
1: say, am I the reason for that reduced mojo for running steps?
2: Yeah, yeah, could be, could be a reason. But um, yeah, so, yeah, I know how important it is and how beneficial this data will be. So I'm very excited mm-hmm. for um, yeah what the outcomes of, of putting all that together is, and it will most definitely help contribute to sports nutrition practitioners and uh, in their, um, practice. Um, so yeah, it was worthwhile from, from that perspective, I reckon. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And then, um, yeah, I thought, you know, I'd have a nice kind of maybe relaxing weekend and then, um, went to watch Tanya play in the semis to see if they could get in the grand final. And, uh, she got knocked out and got a bit of, well, got some concussion and, um, we spent, jeez, uh, a good seven to eight hours um, in, at the Austin and I actually, um, in the end, just walked Tanya and I out. I said, you know, we already knew the scan was all okay. They told us that um, and, mm. and she was okay and that sort of just nudged them a bit to say, okay, we can, we can go. So um, anyway, that was quite, quite an interesting um, experience with the concussion, quite scary.
1: Mm. Did the team win?
2: Unfortunately didn't. Um, so yeah, they're they're out.
1: Probably would have missed the grand final anyway had they won.
2: Uh yes, exactly.
1: Yeah. Because of the concussion protocol. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. Yep. And um I think just in the last two months, um, she's nearly lost a front tooth. Um, you know, fingers, so no more footy. <laughs>
1: I was going to say that football's over, get her into running. Yep,
2: yep, that's the strategy. And what about you? What, what's um, been keeping you busy?
1: Uh, well, obviously finishing up that five-hour run and analysing all the various bits and pieces from that or processing blood, sweat, urine as, as yes. you do um, but yes as, as you said very excited to have all of that done now and have the data so obviously some of those blood samples are in the freezer and we have to thaw them out at some stage and analyze them but others we've already got the data for so we can start having a look yes. at that which is really cool. the exciting part so you know often people think you know doing all the stats and stuff that's like the boring tedious part yeah. but with stats gets results exactly. so Yes, that'll be the exciting part from that. So that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, obviously, UTMB was over the weekend, which was interesting to to follow along with. Mm. Uh, obviously, we had a couple of past guests, mm. Ben Duffus yeah. uh, and also Scotty Hawker mm. running um, in the CCC event. Unfortunately, neither of them had great outings, mm. uh, but yeah, that's sport, I guess. Yeah. You have good days and you have not so good days. Mm. So, uh, yeah, hopefully those two will be back on the horse and, and going again. In, in good form sooner rather than later. Yep. But, yeah, no, apart from that, kids' birthdays and other bits and pieces. But, yeah, just excited to have this data and mm. get a good look at it. Get
2: it done. Yeah, yeah, nice. Social media. We've had a bit on social media. Um, our, we had um, on Instagram Angela Davies who actually originally suggested this topic in terms of nutrition for master athletes so last week's episode with Professor Peter Rayburn she said yeah thank you for an excellent informative educational well-explained podcast she learned heaps and um, like Sisyphus at 54 I was repeating my physical mental activities daily or at least trying to eating more to try to help gain energy And she said, succeeding, gaining a a girth. And then um, all podcasts she's found helpful. This one particularly sheds light in pinpointing her way forward. Uh, And then she said, this Thursday I started my afternoon two-and-a-half-hour walk on a wet winter's day with the quote, if it is to be, it's up to me. And um, she actually got goosebumps and smiled listening to Peter. Uh, he, because he actually also quoted this at the end of the podcast.
1: Mm. Yeah. There you go. So we'd said we'd never heard of that one, but obviously Angela had. Yeah, yep. yeah,
2: yeah. Mm. So um, yep. yeah, and um, Facebook, we had Gay um, Rutherford again um, regarding last week's episode. This is going to be so relevant and interesting. Can't wait, Stefan now. And then we also had Louise McKinley, um, regarding last week's episode, this is a great episode. Would love to have an episode specific to post-menopause. Love your podcast and was hooked the moment I heard episode one with Professor Louise Burke. Um, Louise is a friend of hers from the early Ironman Hawaii days and she said, keep up the amazing work.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yep. she sent through a photo of uh, the 1986 Ironman World Championships over in Kona, which Louise also um in. competed in it
2: yeah, yeah yeah so that was cool and other feedback out you've been out and about
1: well not so much out and about but i just uh thought i'd give a shout out to one of our previous guests leah kirchman who's a professional cyclist in as she was in episode 13b how do i plan for a multi-day event uh, this week leah announced her retirement from pro cycling after 12 years mm. two olympic games representing canada podium in La Course, La Tour de France, and also gold medal at the 2017 Team Triumph Trial World Championships, amongst other achievements. So Mm. this is her last season in professional cycling. So all the best, Leah, with whatever you decide to do next.
2: Yeah, awesome.
1: And how about you, Steph? You've been hearing from people as well?
2: Hearing from people. Um, Yeah, so we've got Mick from Darwin. He found our episode regarding the carbohydrate loading um, really beneficial for his marathon, and he implemented um, some of the information we discussed for the lead-in um, of that marathon. And yeah, he had a fantastic race. And so then wanted to follow up that with with going more deeper into into nutrition. And then we had um, Mark from a triathlon co- club. He's been recommending our podcast to his triathletes, and he's actually been a triathlete for about thirty years. And he's actually found the gut training really beneficial, and he's found just by increasing his carb intake to 100 grams an hour, which is quite a good dose on the bike. He actually sent me data with his power output and the change from when it was lower to um, to higher, and he's really recommending that to to his athletes in terms of referring to. He he really enjoyed the Asker one, and then and then the gut training. So. Yeah, so that's really lovely to hear.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, and just a reminder that if you have a question that you'd like answered on the podcast, you can contact us on social media at The Long Munch on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram and feel free to send through those questions. Also a reminder that if you have a question, it may have been answered before. We're obviously up to the 44th different question at the moment. So if you go and look back through the back catalogue of the podcast all the way back to November 2020 when we started it, you actually may find the answer to the question that you're asking. So typically with the podcast apps, you only see the last few episodes. But if you click on the load more, you can go back and and potentially find that as well. All right. So today's episode, Steph, episode 44B, how are nutritional needs of Masters athletes different to younger athletes with Mary Mitchell? Do you want to tell us a little bit about Mary?
2: yeah um so she's a mad triathlete she's been doing it for yeah as you mentioned decades now um and she's had some really good you know successful events so 2019 she became the Ironman world champion in the 60 to 65 year age group after she mentioned you know having a bash at it for the 10 years or so Mm -hmm. um so it just goes to show you know keep persisting. Um, and yeah, and then she's um, actually going back now to Kona for her 12th time. And she's now starting to play around with some other ultra endurance activities. So she's really enjoying the trail running. And we'll, we'll hear a bit more about that. And then actually, she's, she's going into a pretty reasonably challenging um, multi-sport event coming up, which we'll hear about as well. But yeah, she just, she actually never used to really be a sporty person when she was younger. So it's it's also interesting to see how that developed in her later years.
1: Um, so, yeah, mm. so
2: that's a bit about Mary.
1: Yeah, awesome. And we'll hear just how many Iron Man she's done. It's a bit mind blowing. Yeah. Um, but I guess that's what comes with, with years and years of training and competing yeah. in the sport. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, I think we'll get into this one now, Steph, and hopefully people can enjoy our interview with Mary Mitchell.
2: Awesome. Let's do it. Mary Mitchell, welcome to the Long Munch.
0: Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: (laughs) And um, just to say, out, Mary is um, chatting to us from Adelaide.
0: Oh, the beautiful city, Steph.
2: It is a beautiful city.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You tick that box, Steph. You've mentioned Adelaide now.
2: Yep. Yes. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> I um I first met um you, Mary, when I, I started doing some swimming sessions that um Sam Bo cons me into at the time, um and that was with a group that you were training with as as part of your triathlon um, training. From from that first meeting, I could see your love for the sport of triathlon, and I still see that very much um today. And also your determination to to really do your absolute best as an athlete. So can you tell us first of all what got you started in just sport itself and then I guess that what then led you into triathlon?
0: Um, Well, I think that I'd have to describe myself as an accidental athlete because I was not at all athletic or sporty at school. I was more of a book nerd with my nose in my book. And one of my earliest memories is my sister standing outside our bedroom window bouncing a ball saying, come outside and play. And I'm like, no, I'm reading a book. I can't possibly (laughs) do that. So I sort of started taking up a bit of running off and on when I was at at uni, but nothing terribly serious. And then um, in my late um, 20s and early 30s, I decided I was just sick of being a couch potato and not really doing anything and i found the gym boring still find it quite tedious and um so i took up triathlon because i'd seen it on tv and i thought you know i can swim i'd learned to swim as a child and i can ride a bike because i learned to ride a bike as a child and i can run because it's just putting one foot in front of the other mm. and i it was just something that interested me and i start that's when i started my journey in triathlon and um, just in local racing and all just really short stuff. Um, But I found it really enjoyable and I found the community very supportive and I think that that's what sort of got me hooked into the sport. Mm -hmm.
2: Yep. And you've done a number of Ironmans now, including you're soon to be going over to do, I believe, number 12 in, in Kona. How many Ironmans have you actually done in total?
0: You know, it's a bit mad. I started with one and I stopped counting at 30 and just thought, it you know, just really it's ridiculous so there's no point <laughs> counting. No point so counting. <laughs> when you start to think of the the expenditure that goes with an Ironman, you just think, oh, I'm just not going to go there. So <laughs> just <to> stop. <laughs>
2: um, and you, you have for a little while now been running in some ultras have you switched sports or, or now you've kind of found a love for both? Um, what, what attracted you to then go into running ultras?
0: Um, I think because I really love trail running. I love being out in nature, off the roads. You always see something beautiful or interesting when you're trail running. Time passes so quickly, not like running on the road where you're sort of looking at your watch and thinking, oh, golly, you know, I've still got to. A- a lot to do yeah. um, and then I thought you know uh, I don't know why I did my first ultra but I did my first ultra at Tarawera in New Zealand uh, mainly because they had, uh, the, the website said it was good for beginners wrong seriously wrong and it was one of the longest days of my life it rained the entire time and um, it was it was just a very salutary experience it took me so long that I thought Golly, another hour and a half, and I could have banged out an Iron Man. Probably should have done that. <laughs> but anyway, that after a little break from trail running uh, or ultra running, I've gone back to it. I just love it. It's a real challenge, both mentally and physically. And you know, you see some beautiful parts of our country, and yeah, it's great. I just love it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think I find triathlon now is quite rigid in its structure, and I think. The trail running provides a diversion from that because it's the complete opposite.
2: Mm. Yeah, I was going to ask you, yeah, what um, what you find um, easier as well in terms of do you do you find doing an Ironman easier, or do you find you know training for a hundred k ultra run easier?
0: I think um, I find training for the for an ultra easier mentally. Yeah. Um, you've got one discipline and it's a lot easier to travel. You don't have to take a bike and you don't have to take all this other stuff. So, you know, it's much more portable and, you know, there's some really fascinating ultra runs all over the world that I'd like to start
2: exploring.
0: Mm So I think
2: that's where I'm heading. And um, what's the most memorable Ironman experience for you? Um, Look, it's...
0: It's pretty hard to go past winning my age group in Kona in 2019. I mean, that's pretty. That was just the day that it all it all came right after about 10 goes. Mm. And um, but in terms of pure enjoyment, I think Challenge Road because it yeah. is just the most incredible race um, and event, and the atmosphere is incredible. The spectators are just amazing. It's hard to explain until you actually go there and experience it. It's a beautiful part of the world. And the Germans, I mean, they just they just love triathlon. They're quite mad, but you know, it's yeah. it's just outstanding. And if you if anyone's in, interested at all in going <clears throat> excuse me, I'd highly recommend it. It's it's fantastic.
2: Is the water a bit cold?
0: Yeah, the water's no, it's not cold and it's in a canal. So it's a pretty, you know. It's not like an open water swim in the sea. Uh, it's a wetsuit swim, nice. but yeah, the Germans are very methodical. They have every, I think it's about every two hundred and fifty meters has a sign on the side of the canal to let you know how far you've gone and how far you have to go. <laughs> it's just the logistics are amazing. amazing.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so you've since retired from from work. Um, yeah. But, but when you were working, you were in a pretty demanding job, uh, I would imagine. You had long hours there. Um, and then you also have two kids to, to look after, if I'm right. Three.
0: Three? three?
2: Sorry. Yeah. Ripped you off. Um, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> how did you manage to fit in the Ironman training and, and the racing?
0: It wasn't really until I started working part time after yeah. having my having children, and then you could sort of manage a bit of training. But it just it meant really early starts, and um, it, you just I, I think just get up really early and you do what you can. And I that taught me that sometimes you just have to l- like let a session go. If you can't do it, you can't do it. You can't fit it in. Life is always full of changes and challenges so Mm. that's when I started but I only did you know like one a year or something like that and Mm. my husband who also races Ironman um we sort of took it in turns to pick a race and one of us would train for it and the other one would sort of pick up the slack at home so that's how we sort of managed it good
2: teamwork Yeah. yeah yeah So today we're talking about nutrition for master athletes, but before we get specifically to that, let's talk a little bit about the training and performance aspect as we get older. I'm um, now 38, Mary, I'm Heavens. Feeling a, a little Heavens. bit old. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're just a baby, um, Steph, baby) <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I'm really noticing things now with training and, and recovery. Maybe that's also because I've got other, you know, life things um, happening um, and I, I don't think I had that much happening before. So was there a time or a particular age where you noticed things were getting tougher for you in terms of the, the training and recovery? Was there kind of like this set point um, that you noticed?
0: I think... Turning sixty was a real threshold point, and I've noticed since then um, the training load really hasn't changed, but it's it's harder to recover. Well, not harder, but it just takes a bit longer to recover. It seems to take a bit more out of me, and uh, I think my husband feels the same way. That we're just generally more tired, um, particularly with the long, uh, the the big block in the middle of. Training for an Ironman, where it's just you're just Mm. going at it for extended periods during the week. Mm -hmm. Um, So, I I think, and I've noticed then it's also there's a diminution in power and speed, and just generally slower actually. So, which is quite (laughs) disheartening because it feels like the level of effort that is being put in is exactly the same as it was you know, when we started, but the output is significantly diminished. Um, and, I, you know, there's not a lot you can do to defeat age, um, but there are some strategies that I think we're trying to implement to mm. overcome some of that. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yep. Did
1: you find, Mary, that there was a period of adjustment? Because as you said, you know, you're putting in the same amount of input but getting kind of less output. Did you find that there's a period of time or, or other... Athletes that you know of a similar age have found a period of time where they sort of find that they're almost trying harder and harder and harder to achieve the same output, and eventually get to that stage of accepting. Now, this is just where it's going to be from now on.
0: Oh, um, denying going, do not go <laughs> quietly into the night. Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, I think generally, I think the the athletes that I know of are around about the same age. It's really started, it really starts in your 60s. There's probably a gradual decline over your 50s that you don't really notice as much. But I think once you get into your 60s and, you know, heading towards the middle of your 60s, it's, you know, that would be a consensus that it's just, it's just harder. Yeah.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um. And anything in particular you've noticed in terms of training and recovery um, as you've gotten older? So, um, for example, have you found that with the swimming, the biking or the running um, that, you know, that anything's particularly bad? Do you find the swimming's worse or the running's worse or the bike's worse or it's all just the same in terms of how you're feeling in terms of it being a bit harder?
0: Um, well, I've never been a particularly great swimmer, so um, my swim times are probably where I notice the the slowing least.
2: Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm.
0: The bike yeah. is definitely where I notice it. I mean, you know, you of just course. notice that you don't, you can't put out the same power output that you could put in put out ten years ago or five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, running, not 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 yeah. so much, mm-hmm. but um, you know, there's a I would say the the most noticeable is on the bike where you just slow. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yep. And did you do any VO two max tests, Mary? In the um, or have you done any VO two max tests? Yeah, with not, the, with the running.
0: No, not really. No, no. I no. mean you you know some of the technology on your watch gives you some sort of indication of of what mm. that is, but mm. um, no, yeah. not really.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's right, it's just me getting sad because we spoke to Peter the other day telling us about how our VO2 max <clears throat> declines and, again, I'm noticing that for me, but it's probably just because I'm not training as much either.
0: Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's better not to know. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so with um, age comes years of accumulated training. Have you noticed any distinct advantages that have come from your years of training in terms of how you, you train or race? Because, you know, you've, you've been doing the the sport for a really long time um, now. Have you noticed benefits of, of that accumulated training? Oh, definitely. Apart,
0: apart from my motto of, of if you can't be fast, be cunning, Um I think there's there is a definite benefit in having years of resilience in in your body. Um, you develop a, an endurance. I've always been a bit of a diesel anyway. I haven't had, I don't have much top end speed at all. Um, but I think you do have that uh, resilience and strength um, from years of accumulated um, exercise over the same sort of um, disciplines. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay, well, let's get into the nutritional side of things now, Mary. And I guess one common observation in athletes as they get older is in terms of body composition, maybe losing a bit of muscle size and strength over time. Um, And also, we spoke to Peter about this last week, finding that people maybe don't need quite as many calories, as in to eat as many calories as they did in the past to maintain a stable weight. Or, Or the flip side to that, you know, you eat the same amount and it's a bit easier to gain body fat. Have you noticed either or both of those things yourself?
0: I think entering mental, uh, going into menopause has had a big um, impact on my um, body composition. Yeah. And certainly I noticed that if I eat the same amount of calories, then I uh, do increase my body fat composition quite easily, which is really quite irritating. (laughs) Um, And, I think, you know, I've sort of played around over the years with changing my diet to sort of accommodate that natural um, hormonal reaction, I think it is. And uh, so I've I've toyed around with a lot of stuff and I work with a nutritionist, which I find extremely helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. And she's sort of, you know, given me a lot of guidance on what sort of foods to eat. Uh, and that's been really helpful in terms of trying to have a good body composition for training and racing. I think you need you need to be careful about being too fixated on being too lean, particularly for ultras and Ironman racing. Mm. I think if you are too lean, then that can be detrimental to performance. I think that, you know, you do actually need, well, you do need body fat anyway, but I think you have to be quite sensible about what what's a realistic body composition for those sorts of events, given that they take such a long period of time to actually put, complete. Um, hmm. So, but yeah, I've noticed that, you know, if I'm not training at the level I'm, tra- you know, training for an Ironman, that, you know, if I eat what I would like to eat, um, the weight just yeah just packs on on so which yep. is yeah as I said quite irritating.
1: Yeah yeah fair <laughs> enough. Um, and I guess looking more specifically at the fueling side of things in terms of carbohydrate either for training or, or for racing, do you find that your approach to that has changed over time compared to? When you were younger, in terms of how much carbs you might have for training or for racing, or do you have you found any changes in how much you feel that you actually need for those?
0: You know, when I started triathlon, I had absolutely no idea about fueling, Um, and that's the advantage of working with a sports nutritionist is that you get good advice on what you actually need. And I think with women in particular, there's an emphasis on body image and, you know, the tendency in your, well, my tendency in my early years was to be, you know, not to eat carbs because, you know, that carbs are bad. And uh, also there's so much information out there that is conflicting in terms of carbs are bad, carbs are good, protein's good, protein's bad, be a fat burner, don't be a fat burner. It's really hard to wade your way through all the information out there and, and actually... Get good solid advice um, on on what you should be doing. So, and I've toyed around with how I what what level of carb load I take for training and racing. I I, I think the periodized approach is the one that I like the best, so that you match your carbohydrate um, consumption to the, the the type of workout that you're doing on a particular day. Yep. And also, like, what are, you, what are you doing the next day? If you've got a light day, then I don't need a heavy carbohydrate dinner. But if I've got a, you know, a five-hour ride with a run off it, then mm. I probably should eat some carbohydrate mm. the night before because <laughs> yep. you don't get much in in the morning before you get out the door. So um, I find the periodized approach really helpful. And I've also, the, working with my nutritionist, Um, who must roll her eyes every time she sees my appointment in her diary, um, worked on carb loading, which I thought I had nailed but was truly atrocious at. So um, that's been a real eye-opener, particularly going into like an ultra run of 50 or 60 kilometres. The amount that you have to ingest in terms of carbohydrate, it's it's enormous and I still struggle with getting the quantity in, even though... I've sort of tried to massage it into less food, more fluids. Yes. Trying to, you know, but even so, you feel like by day two, you feel like a Christmas goose. You just mm. like I can't do it anymore. I just I don't want to. I don't want to even look at a carb. But you know, mm. it's so uh, I find that quite a challenge. This time going into Kona, I've tried to. I've been working on um, for ultras consuming about sixty grams of carb an hour. It's a mix of drink and gels Mm -hmm. or food. Um, But going into Kona, I'm trying to increase that up to about 80 grams Mm -hmm. of carbon hour. Kona is interesting because it's such a hot environment. Um, Tolerance for ingesting large amounts of carbohydrate I've struggled with in the past. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how I can manage that this time. We're going out five weeks before the race so we've got a good training period to try and um, test out a few things and see what's going to be tolerable on the day without developing into sort of any GI issues which seriously you don't want out there no
2: so yeah so it doesn't sound like um you've necessarily um changed your carbohydrate intake compared to like like in terms of age it's really just um manipulating carbohydrate in terms of the training load and if anything in terms of your race day you're kind of potentially increasing it a bit to to see if you can tolerate that
0: yeah I think that's yeah that's a really good summary Steph um I've got a few sort of longer events coming up in the latter part of this year and early next year and and I think If I can train my gut to tolerate higher levels of carbohydrate, that will be really helpful when you're doing a Mm multi-day event because it's really hard uh, to finish a long day of running and refuel adequately if Mm -hmm. you've got behind, and particularly when it goes on and on and on. So, you know, (laughs) you sort of think I've really got to train my gut to tolerate a higher level during the actual running. I find it easier to... Take that higher carb load on the bike. Yeah, I find it more difficult in the run. Yeah. So it's very common, you know that, that will fact. be really interesting to see how I go on those multi-day events uh, mm. towards the end of the year. Yeah.
1: yeah. And and I guess the flip side to that, from a carbohydrate perspective, and and this may not be an issue because you've sort of, I guess, evolved the way that you've sort of planned your fueling during training and racing before. <laughs> but do you get any sense of whether you feel like as you've gotten older, your susceptibility to sort of bonking or hunger flooding, whatever term you want to use, has got more, less or the same? Or do you think because your fueling has changed over time, it's hard to kind of compare?
0: I think it's hard to compare. I think I'm actually better at it now in terms of fueling than I was at the start. I mean, I had no idea. I remember going on a 90 kilometre bike ride with two snakes and thinking Mm. that was adequate. And limping home <laughs> thinking can I get my bike onto a bus for heaven's yep. sakes yep. but uh, so yep. I'm definitely better at fueling now and I don't I've not had too many issues with bonking I've certainly had races where I've under fueled on the bike and I've got to the start of the run and it's been catch up and that's yep. that that teaches you a great big lesson about lot uh, you know fueling frequently often mm. often and I think mm. Particularly I've noticed in menopause the thirst mechanism has deteriorated and particularly here in Adelaide where it's really got that message in again, um, it's really <laughs> cold in winter. Um, the tendency not to drink on the bike is, is it's easy to fall into that trap. Mm. Um, so, you know, it requires a great deal of, I think for me particularly, a great deal of focus on the bike to make sure that I am drinking, drinking, drinking. Hopefully in Hawaii with the hot weather, um that won't be so much of an issue but i I still have a tendency not to drink enough fluid on the Mm -hmm. bike and if you do that in an environment as as well any ironman but particularly if you're in a challenging uh environment you put yourself behind the eight ball and it's really hard to recover that i mean you can do it eventually but you've compromised your race so you know it's a you know it's just something i have to be particularly mindful of
1: yeah and just on that topic of hydration, do you, do you feel or have you noticed over time any change in your sweat rate? Do you think you've become a heavier sweater or a lighter sweater or, or no real noticeable difference?
0: Uh, I can't say that I've noticed a difference. I no. think I'm not a heavy sweater. I never have been. Um, you know, I'm lucky in a hot environment, which I quite enjoy racing in a hot environment. I don't. Lose a lot of body weight in sweat. So I think it's been pretty constant.
1: Mm, okay. No worries. Let's talk about protein now. Have you noticed anything here in terms of how much protein you feel you need, or have you made any sort of conscious adjustments to the amount of protein that you've had over time?
0: Again, since, since turning 60 and, and being in menopause, I've really adjusted how much protein. I do consume and I consume far more than I used to, um, you know, 10 or 15 years ago and I try and um, dose it over the day so that I'm not eating one great big lump of it at any one meal but I'm sort of having little hits of it during during the day so I get that uh, increase and I've certainly increased, you know, I think, I, you know, there's all sorts of guides out there about what sort of how many grams you should have for body weight. But again, my nutritionist has given me some, you know, this is what you need to do in terms of a hit that you need to have and spread it out over the day.
1: Yeah. And so that increase, was that something that you sort of felt that you needed or was it more of the nutritionist saying, look, this is probably necessary at this stage?
0: Both, I think. I Mm -hmm. think I I definitely noticed that I need it. Um, You know, conscious of muscle mass, trying to maintain as much of that as possible. Uh, And also, I think from a satiety um, perspective, protein is really much more helpful than carbohydrate, you know, and Ironman training, I mean, you're just hungry all the time. So Mm. it's quite, you know, I find the protein really helps manage that because, again, you know, the tendency is to just want to eat so much and uh, we'll go back to the body composition discussion you know, it's it's easy to stack on the weight and you don't really want to do that, but you don't want to be hungry all the time. So pro, uh, protein I find is really helpful in terms of managing those sorts of issues.
1: Yeah, and so it sounds like you're not necessarily more or less hungry now than you were before. It's more just that you probably don't need quite as many calories and so it's easier to sort of satisfy that hunger to be able to eat a little bit less. Uh,
0: yes, I agree. I mean, I, I just you know there's there's been no change in appetite i could just eat and eat and eat i think sometimes yep. um although when i i have noticed that when i stop training at the same level you know there's a period where you still want to eat like you're training for an iron man but then after mm. that your appetite does um naturally suppress yep. so that's good you know when you've eaten 500 ice creams and everything <laughs> else that, <laughs> that you feel that you deserve
1: yeah yeah um has there anything else from a nutrition point of view, like maybe vitamins and minerals? You know, things like calcium, iron, vitamin D. Are there any of those that you sort of paid more attention to, or, or I guess changed your approach with as time's gone by? Not
0: really. I try and not take too many supplements for obvious reasons, um, but I think you know, vitamin D is quite helpful particularly when you're working and you spend a lot of time inside. My job was an office-bound job, so there's not a lot yeah. of sunlight there. Um, so I think vitamin D and calcium, I think that's good for warding off osteoporosis, particularly, again, as you get older, that, that becomes more of an issue that you need to think about. Um, so I don't, I've i taken fish oil supplements for joint Maintenance and
1: you know inflammation reduction and those sorts of things, but that's about it. Yeah, yeah, okay. And I guess some of the common problems that Ironman athletes or ultra runners might experience would be things like cramps, gut problems, or just getting sick of sort of sickly sweet drinks and gels and things during a race. Have you found that those sort of issues have become more prevalent, less prevalent, the same as you've got gotten older, or? They've got better, or about the same. I think. I think they've.
0: St- I think they've got better. I think you. Uh, you know, the years and years of consuming sugary things, you sort of become. I'm lucky. I'm a bit of a goat. I can just eat eat just about anything and not have mm-hmm. too many GI issues. So that's been. That's been good for me. Um, so, I think the. With an Ironman racing, it's kind of difficult to avoid taking um, anything other than a gel or 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 a bar or something and, yeah. and drink because it's just physically port- carrying it is difficult. In ultra running, I've to- I've tried different things. I've gone for more solid foods like a Vegemite sandwich or a, um, you know sesame snaps. Um, but again, that depends. I found that depends on the on the event that you entered. That you enter and if it's a very technical course with a lot of rocks and or tricky footing you're sort of concentrating on where you're putting your feet all the time you don't have time to be ferreting around in your pockets looking for a sandwich mm. so i found that then again you revert to eating things like lollies and gels and fluid because it's just easier to manage on difficult terrain so uh i don't i find that i can pretty much bang stuff down throughout a race and not not get that flavor fatigue. I know my husband gets to a point where he looks at a gel and thinks I just can't do it, mm-hmm. and I've not. That's not. I don't have that issue, so I'm I'm lucky in that respect.
1: Yep, yep. And any troubles with cramping in the past?
0: Uh, yes, I've had a race where I've had cramps on the on in my legs on the bike and. Again, I think that's, that's one of those ones where I underfueled on the bike and I think, you know, I've sort of overcome that issue now.
1: Mm-hmm. Again, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily something that was worse when you were younger that's improved over time or vice versa. It's just...
0: No, I think
1: it's incompetence that... that's driven yeah. it. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, fair enough. <laughs>
1: now, obviously... Um, as we get older and we sort of more broadly, we start to maybe consider more around some of the health conditions that that can happen as we get older, not necessarily always, but from our sort of 50s onwards, we are at increased risk of things like heart disease, diabetes, dental problems, just to name a few. Has this been something that yourself or, or the other athletes that you sort of socialise with think about a lot? And has, has it sort of had a direct influence on, I guess, the nutrition choices that you make around, training and racing
0: i think you know it, you i often think i'm so lucky to have good health and good fitness um and i look at some of my peers that i went through university with that have struggled with health issues and i i think i'm just so lucky that i haven't had to face any of those issues mm. uh, but i certainly think a lot harder about what I put in my mouth. Um, I think I've improved my my diet as I've got older, particularly from about 50 onwards, and tried to eat more, you know, the old eat in moderation, mostly plants, mm. uh, is a good motto to to follow. And I've certainly certainly eaten more plants and a more variety of vegetables than I would have done in my 30s and 40s so I think you know I look at what we eat now as a as a family and I think you know yeah there's a lot more thought that goes into getting something balanced on the table that uh, you know it's going to be good for you um, as well as you know
1: nice to eat. Yeah. yeah okay so sort of wrapping all of this up I guess looking back with the benefit of experience having done triathlon for, for quite a, a number of years. What, what are sort of the things I guess that you know now about nutrition for your sport that you wish you knew you knew or you had known when you were younger?
0: Oh, so much Alan. <laughs> so much. I think the biggest message that I've that I've learned over the years is you know in if you want to compete in sport at a high level, you have to fuel, you have to fuel appropriately. Um, and, you, you know, you can't really go into it um, just thinking, you you know, you know, it's good to reach out and get some professional advice, because you, it's so hard to go into it when you don't have a nutritional background, um, to understand exactly what it is that you need to be doing. So I think, you know, fueling is really important and then there's eating. And the two things aren't the same and you need to sort of separate those in your mind. And if you want to do well, then you have to fuel appropriately and you need to know what, what that entails.
1: Yep, yeah, definitely. Okay, and then just looking beyond nutrition, any other tips or tricks that you found that have helped you um, be able to sort of keep up your training and your competition as you've gotten older?
0: I think as as I've gotten older, I've stopped. You know, you sort of move more away from long hours of uh, low level uh, um, training, so like you know, endurance training at sixty percent of heart rate, into shorter, harder <laughs> sessions. So you know, more interval training, less perhaps less running duration or miles, but more. Um, intense, uh, harder efforts in a shorter period of time, more recovery between sessions, um, and uh, gym work, strength work, particularly, you know, as you get older. I think, unfortunately, as I find it quite tedious, it is essential, and I've sort of tried this year particularly to make an effort to go to the gym about three times a week. More than that, I really can't tolerate, but, you know, it's... (laughs) It's necessary, <laughs> unfortunately. But, you know, I think, and I think that really does make a difference in terms of um, just being stronger, just being stronger overall and trying to maintain muscle mass, which helps with overall performance in the long run.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that fits really nicely with, with what Peter discussed last week as well. He's definitely a big advocate for resistance training, particularly as we get older as well. So, yeah. All right, well, I'm going to hand over to Steph now to finish off, Mary, with our bonus round where we find out a little bit more about you.
2: Cool. Awesome. Um, all right, so, Mary, you have completed um, competed in Ironman for many years. If you had to choose out of running, swimming or cycling, what would you choose?
0: Well, it wouldn't be swimming that would be for sure um <laughs> and it, i would say now running there are so many you know when you swim your goggles can break when you're on the bike you can get a flat tie so many technical issues blah 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 and when you run it's sort of like well nothing really can go wrong now well yeah. well mm. within mm. reason if it's just like you know so but also i enjoy running i enjoy the feeling of running i enjoy the the feeling of freedom that it brings um, so that that would be my choice
2: yeah and you can uh take your your doggo what's your dog's name again i've forgotten
0: uh echo yes echo
2: you can take echo out with you on the on the trails or
0: yep. is, he's, yeah he's love. he loves it he's a border collie so he's built to run although he is a bit of a princess i must say and doesn't <laughs> particularly like the wet weather and I keep telling him you're a working dog (laughs) get out there (laughs)
2: um and who's the person you'd most like to have a guest at your dinner table and why
0: you know there are so many people that you could you could choose I mean George Clooney for obvious reasons but leaving (laughs) leaving that aside um I think the person I'd most be interested in just having a chat to is Brian Cox the okay. physicist um, you know he's had a really interesting life and he explains science in a way that or physics in a way that even I can understand it and I find it I find it really fascinating but yeah I think he'd be an ideal dinner guest
2: yeah yeah
0: that's after me
2: and Al of course you, you <laughs> yes of that. course, of yep, course. Yep. Yes. we're already there Steph <laughs> <too>. uh, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> one thing on your bucket list that you haven't yet done
0: well, as you know, Steph, I'm sort of straying off out of triathlon into the multi-sport world. And I um, three years ago, pre-COVID, I entered the coast-to-coast Coast yeah. in New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, and hopefully in February 2023, I will finally get to start that race. So it's been a long three years and I've had to learn some new uh, I've had to learn to kayak, which I'm not particularly great at, but you know can manage to stay upright. So I think I think multi-sport, and I think the other thing that I really want to have a crack at is Xterra. Right, right. Yep, triathlon. Yeah. yeah, even though my mountain biking skills are appalling, <laughs> and I find it quite terrifying at times, um, I think yeah, that's yeah. that's something I'd like to have a crack at.
2: Awesome, awesome. Um, and favourite sporting moment in 2022 so far?
0: You know, it's been a big year for, for sport this year. I think, you know, Jai Hindley winning the Giro is, was, pretty, was pretty awesome. You've had the Com Games, um, you know, so many things. But I think, you know, coming from Adelaide, Steph,
2: <laughs> I think
0: seeing Jess uh, Stenson her marathon, Just the way she raced that from beginning to end, so Mm. strong, so determined, Mm. and then pulling away in the last bit and just winning that race and then seeing her with her family Mm.
2: afterwards, I just thought that to me is a standout this year. Yeah, yeah, that was was awesome and all mums too. Yes, I know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) incredible. Um, and do you live by any particular um, bit of advice or, or motto that you um, have? Not
0: really. I mean, I'll borrow one. I think the, the only one that I think of more consistently than others when I'm deciding if I'm going to do something is something I'll borrow from the lovely Laura Siddle, which is don't die wondering mm. and, you know, don't think about Don't, yeah, don't think about why not. Think about what you can do. So, you know, particularly as you get older, there's a tendency to think, oh, maybe I'm a bit old for this. And then you think, ah, no, I'm not. (laughs) Give it a go. (laughs) Give it a go. What What could possibly go wrong?
2: (laughs) Yeah, That's awesome. Um, Well, cool. Thank you very much, Mary, for your, um, yeah, for chatting with us and giving us a, a bit of perspective on um, how you've, you know, managed to, yeah, keep um, competing and, and training and um, still loving sport um, as, as you get older and um, clearly I'm doing something wrong because I'm noticing things when I'm 38 and you've only noticed it when you're 60. <laughs> <Sorry>.
0: <laughs> well, I might have been a bit of denial before then, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
2: But, um, yeah, thank you very much for your time and I'm, I'm sure our listeners um, will get something out of it. So thank I you. I hope so. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mary, for sharing your experience. Um, yeah, good Good to know. And like I said, it seems like maybe I'm doing a little bit wrong with how I'm going about things because it's certainly feeling harder for me as I've reached 38. Um, don't know about you too Al Um, but yeah I'll I'll let you do the um summary from both I guess Peter and and Mary
1: yeah yeah exactly so I guess first of all you know what is a master's athlete well as you said that's both of us now sadly because it's Mm -hmm. 35 and over um but I guess with that comes a huge age range you know 35 up to you know, 80s, 90s potentially. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's a huge range of ages, huge range of experience too because we have some people that have been training since their teenage years or their early 20s that are now in their 50s or 60s and have decades literally Mm -hmm. in the legs, whereas other people have have only taken up the sport in the last couple of years and they might be in their 40s, 50s or 60s. So obviously they are very different types of people in terms of what we call training age or training history. So that's something to bear in mind. Uh, I guess, you know, as Peter said, a lot of the research is on older people or younger athletes rather than in older athletes specifically. Uh, And this is, I think, a little bit of a bugbear for me sometimes is that we have, and maybe we should bring back the rant, Steph, but, you know, Mm -hmm. often people complain that there's not enough research in elite athletes, which are generally going to be younger people. And, and and sort of say, well, you know, all there's all this research going on at universities in sports nutrition, but it's not in elite athletes. So that's, you know, almost implying that it's useless mm-hmm. because that's not the population where it needs to be applied. But the reality is that, you know, 95 plus percent of the people who are on a start line of an Ironman, an ultra race, a mountain bike event, you know, your local club cycling event, whatever, they're not elite athletes mm-hmm. and they're not in their early 20s necessarily. And so they represent the majority of people and yet people are going on about this research isn't relevant it's like well if you work in the institute of sport with olympic athletes it might not be relevant but for mm-hmm. everyone else it's extremely relevant. relevant so well, yeah just a little bit of a bugbear from my point of view and <laughs> I, you can see you nodding there because you probably think the same <laughs> um, and a lot of our research yeah is not in elite athletes but that's okay because it applies to the vast majority of the people who are competing in these events which exactly. is okay um So yes, obviously there's two factors here when we think about athletes getting older. One is the actual aging process. So that happens to all of us. And obviously the the training history that I mentioned before, which um, depending on how long you've been in the sport may or may not be relevant. I think in terms of Mary's experiences, I think a lot of them pretty closely matched sort of the, the topics that Peter discussed last week as well. You know, she noticed that her performance had started declining, particularly on the bike where it's sort of that, you know, raw power output and particularly since turning 60 for her. She also ex- talked about um, having a reduction in thirst, particularly sort of post-menopause, but no real change in sweat rate. So she does need to be a little bit more conscious about her fluid intake. That's not to say, you know, deliberately going overboard with that and risking hyponatremia, because we don't want that either, but maybe just being a bit more conscious to make sure you're drinking enough, but not excessively. Um, she's focused particularly on protein in recent years and feels that that has been particularly beneficial to her and that really fits again with what Peter was talking about that we do need a bit more protein as we get older um, because for our muscles to actually build new proteins uh, in the muscles themselves it actually needs a greater dose of protein in older people compared to younger people and also because we want to prevent that decline in in muscle mass as we get older which has an impact not only on our performance but as we get older again just our day-to-day level of function as well which we don't want to compromise. Um, and then I guess the other thing that she talked about is being conscious of not over-consuming calories as she's gotten older as well because her energy expenditure in terms of how many calories she's actually burning up in training is less than what it used to be because instead of putting out, you know, just making these numbers up but say like 250-watt mm. average on a ride, it might be more like you know, 180, 190 watts and so all of a sudden you're actually physically burning less calories on the same sort of training session uh, mm. compared to what you maybe you did 10 or 15 years earlier. And also, as you're losing muscle mass, you're just not burning as many calories at rest as well. So there is a, a reduced requirement for calories there. So something to consider. She also mentioned that her training volume is a little bit lower overall. She's doing less hours, but her high-intensity efforts sort of remain in there. And I guess that's what happens when you or what you can do, a luxury of having several decades of that base training in your legs is that you can you can do that which is great. Uh, She also understands the importance of resistance training as she gets older. uh, And and that's one thing that Peter really emphasised is that if you're not doing resistance training, it's a really good idea to add that into your training program. Um, Even if, like Mary, you're you're not necessarily that fond of the gym, um, it is definitely a a worthwhile (laughs) thing to do. I guess overall, if we pull together, you know, Mary's experience as well as, you know, what we discussed with Peter, I guess overall dietary quality becomes much more important. And that is to make sure that the food that you are putting in gives you a variety of nutrients. So obviously we talked about protein being important, but thinking like calcium and vitamin D and all our other vitamins and minerals, um, you know, our need for those becomes Um, more important as we get older and also as we start to eat less because we're burning less calories we've got a smaller amount of food to pack in the same amount of all of those nutrients compared to maybe a younger athlete who's doing hours and hours of training and and getting through a lot more food they can sort of spread those nutrients out across that food a bit better so yeah I think the the emphasis on diet quality um, only gets more as we get older And Steph, just to finish up with, we had that discussion with Peter last week about the impact of aging on the gastrointestinal tract as that's relevant to sport. You've had a bit of a look into that. What can you tell us?
2: I just, um, I need to dig into it further in terms of the different age range. But um, I guess if we just look at kind of from the age of 65 years and, and older is where we can see, you know, some changes to the gastrointestinal system. So, just we can start to produce less saliva um, and then also just the kind of the force from our our jaw can be reduced as well so obviously that's going to have an impact on chewing and swallowing you know I guess from an ultra endurance perspective if you have noticed that then that may be where you need to start thinking about some of those nutrition choices choosing the ones that are a bit more easy to chew. And then the, I guess, the strength of contractions in the esophagus and then also just the upper esophageal sphincter that can decrease as well. So I guess from that perspective, it may influence an increase in gastrointestinal symptoms, potentially more upper symptoms where we might get a bit of the um, uh, reflux type, type symptoms as we get older. And there's also a slight slowing of movement of contents through the large intestine as well. And so again, if we look at that from an ultra endurance perspective, we know that you know the the longer that we exercise, our gut can become a bit more impaired and slow down. So perhaps that's um, exaggerated when we get a bit older as well. So I guess just being mindful of, of that and and then listen to our gut training episode and see how we can perhaps just um, implement some gut training strategies to, to help with those changes that may occur. And there can also be some changes in the rectal area as well that can um, potentially lead to an increase in constipation. But hopefully when we're exercising, we may help reduce that risk, um, you know, just by the, the movement with the exercise and how that can just benefit the gastrointestinal tract and health so it's a it's an area that yeah I will like to dig deeper in and and be able to tell you more I guess from like I said the age range so leave that as homework for me but yeah that's just a a a little snippet of of what can happen to the GI system yep awesome yeah next episode our we are so excited about this and it's um hugely relevant. And um, I know that you and I are just going to be recommending this one to all the people we tend to see because it's such a common question.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this is probably in the top two or three most common questions that we ever get, I suspect. So our question is, how can I stop cramping? Mm. And we are joined by Professor Kevin Miller from uh just trying to remember because he's just moved universities, actually. Um, I might hold that till next week to get the title right, so I don't want to get it wrong, but he's in Texas now. He's just moved to Texas. He's from the US. Um, But he has done a lot of research in different aspects of cramping and how you study cramping in the lab and has come up with probably the most complete model um, to try and explain how or why we cramp during or after exercise. So we're going to talk with him through that kind of model and try and identify some of the things there. And I think there's a lot of similarities. The more I've looked into the model that that Kevin's put together, the more similarities I see with exercise-induced gastrointestinal syndrome, which is obviously a model that you spent a lot of time working with, Steph, in your yeah. PhD. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think really interesting. One, because cramping is so common. Uh, two, because it seems to be this very complex syndrome with lots of different factors going on. And three, because I can see a lot of parallels with the gut stuff here with the the cramping side of things as well. So yeah, super excited for this one.
2: Yeah, so if you've got a question or you hear people telling you um, in terms of cramping that just take salt tablets or take magnesium, um, you very much wanna listen to this one because um, you'll you'll be able to see that it actually probably does not come down to that. um, And you'll learn about the different factors involved.
1: Mm. but that there are still nutrition things that can impact on cramping, even if it's not necessarily electrolytes, which is the common belief.
2: Common one, yeah, exactly right. Yep, yep. Um, And so just a a reminder, if you do have a question that you would like answered on the podcast, you can contact us at The Long Munch on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter. And remember, as our said, there's more than 40 previous questions that we've actually already answered. So if you're new to the podcast, welcome. You might like to check out the back catalogue to see if there's something there that'll be helpful to you. Most podcast apps only show you the last few episodes, but if you click back, you'll find that there, um, there's a whole back catalogue catalog of them going back to November 2020. And then if you want to be notified every time that there is a new episode available, you can hit subscribe on the podcast app that you're listening to this episode on. And then if your friends are asking about a particular nutrition issue for their training or racing, and you've heard it on the podcast, then you might like to let them know about the the long munch. Otherwise, we will love and leave you, wish you happy training and good nutrition and we'll see you next week.
1: We'll do. See you everyone.